Atena Koto Katsur. Greetings, everyone. Hi, Mai, and welcome to the Sustainable Why, Tamana Otiwai virtual field trip. I'm Andrew, the Learns Field Trip Teacher, and it's just gone uh, quarter past nine on Tuesday, the 30th of October, Halloween tomorrow. Um, this is our first field trip web conference, and right now you're at the the classroom uh, for to, uh, Topol tomorrow? Topol for tomorrow. Topol for tomorrow. So next to me here is, is Kresha. So Kresha is the educator here at uh, the classroom for Topol for tomorrow. And to my right is James. So James is an aquarist. And an aquarist is somebody that uh, specializes in working with aquariums, I suppose. Yep. Yep, so, so uh, the, the classroom here is, is out the back of the Tongariro National Trout Centre. And this afternoon, in fact, we're going to go in and have a look around the Trout Centre at those aquariums and see all those freshwater native fish that they've got in there. So that'll be really amazing. Um, now, if you want to know more about uh, Kresha and James, you can have a look at their profile pages on the Fieldtrip website. Uh, we've also got Egbert with us. Egbert was supposed to have a friend join him this week, but unfortunately they never turned up in time. Um, so, but there's plenty of friends around here that Egbert can hang around with for today. Um, so welcome to our few speaking schools we have here. We've got uh, the Thompson Twins, Billy and Jesse. Really good to have you guys on board. And who is the other classroom, Barry? Uh, our core for intermediate from Auckland. Awesome. You're, you're right, class. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I know, Kofi. That's awesome. So you'll see down the bottom is a the chat pod, and I see some of you have already put a message in there. So that is where we're going to get you to put your questions in this morning. So we don't have a formal speaking school. Uh, the the questions are going to come from from you guys this morning. So I hope you've got some questions to ask. So the things you need to be thinking about this morning, um, we've got, well, Kresha, who, who probably knows a little bit about all sorts of things, um, being, being the educator, and, um, and freshwater fish, well, we've got James right here as well. So, um, so that's what you need to be thinking about in terms of getting your questions. So we, we kind of had the day, day marked as being the theme called... Um, uh, the secret life of why. So, so what, what are, I guess we could start off by asking, what, what's so secretive about it? James, what's so secretive about, well, about most, water? Most of them are um, native fish species, are nocturnal, so they only come out at night. Uh, best way to see them is with the spotlight. During the daytime, they'll hide under the banks, they'll bury themselves in the stones and the mud, and uh, generally very hard to see. Um, our insects and things normally live underneath rocks, uh, so you actually have to go and pick up the rocks, have a look, see what's in there. And other than that, you can look at a body of water and it looks absolutely barren, nothing in it. You go down there either at night or you go pick up a few things and you'll see that's absolutely teeming with life. Well, I was talking to James just about this before and... Um, because there's a little stream that runs through our property and, and you'd think, yeah, sure, there's nothing in it, but 
sure enough, I went down one night with the kids and we took a, a torch and shone it into the water. And I couldn't believe it. There were kokapu, a fresh native freshwater fish, all over the place. And that was, I thought that was really neat um, that we have those species just on the property. And you might be surprised yourself if you've got a creek or a stream nearby, have a, you know, go down with, with, with an adult at night and with a torch and see what you can find. And like James said, you know, picking up things and having a look and always make sure you put, put things back where you got them from. It's kind of like at the beach, eh, James? You know, you pick up a rock and there's crabs under it. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, up in uh, the Auckland region, we do have freshwater crabs. Right. Um, wow. They're very small, and you find them in around the leafwaters, fruits um, and stuff. So I guess a lot of lot of the reasons why things are cryptic and secretive is it's it's probably got a lot to do with survival. Um, yeah, generally, um, small things get eaten by bigger things, and. A lot of the um, fish in New Zealand, they believe they're nocturnal because of the uh, bird life that we have in New Zealand. Quite a few of our birds, such as the herons and kingfishers, will go after any fish that's easy, easily visible during the daytime. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and of course, fuel, which we're going to have a look for today <laughs> on the river, um, one of their, you know, they like to get underneath rocks and, and get the invertebrates that live around the rocks and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, they love them. Yeah. So if I was an invertebrate, um, I, I would definitely be doing my best to hide under a rock, I suppose. <laughs> so, Christian, what, what are some of the, um, uh, well, do you know like how, how the status of, of this freshwater wildlife is in New Zealand at the moment? Is it, are we, are there, is it an abundance of species? Are, are some of them threatened? What's, what's the deal? So we have lots of different species and lots of them are only found in New Zealand, um, like the fuel, like a lot of our fish. Um, some of them we're not sure because people don't see the secret life of why as often, we may not know how many there are. And then some of them are endangered. So some of them are declining. Some of them are declining quite rapidly. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. So you might think about our waterways. Can you think of a waterway that doesn't look very healthy? If, if there's a waterway that's not very healthy, doesn't look good to you, it might not be good for fish either or for any of the other things that like to live in there. Because it's been in the news a lot lately, hasn't it? You know, how our water quality and the whole image that we project to the world as clean, green New Zealand is maybe not so clean and green as we think. And there's been studies, and in fact, the government is sort of putting forward proposals to clean up waterways and improve things. So, which, do, you, do you want to comment on that at all? I think anything we can do to uh, improve our awa, our, our rivers and our lakes, our roto, um, is good. So even little things that you guys can do, all the way up to the government doing big things, it all has an impact. Just even if it's only a tiny impact, we're helping to look after that secret life that lives in our rivers. Yeah, sometimes it can seem like the problem's quite large and, and we wouldn't have much of an impact, but... But I guess lots of individual efforts, small groups can, can pay off. 
Absolutely. There's a group here called um, Project Tongariro that we're going to meet on Thursday, I think. Um, And they started out very little. And over the last 20 years, they've restored hundreds of kilometres of river vegetation just with volunteers. And that's just over a long period of time with people who care. So. Well, even Garth, so we're going to meet Garth today, and Garth is the uh, person who's going to take us down the river on, on a raft. I mean, he's, he started a project up a long time ago helping the fuel with trapping. And in fact, I was talking to him just yesterday, and, he, and there's an award he's they put in for. So I can't remember what the award is, but, um, <laughs> but that, you know, it's just, that's great it, you know, to be rewarded potentially, if they win, uh, for the efforts, because the breeding pairs now on the river uh, from 10 years ago has increased quite significantly, I feel. I was just telling Andrew before that out from the trout centre, there's a pair of feel. I hope you guys know what feel are by now, but blue ducks, just in case, um, that have seven ducklings, which is a lot of ducklings. And we're hoping that they all survive to grow up. Um, <laughs> that's a soft toy feel. <laughs> And that's the sound that they make. They don't quack. Is it the only duck in the world that whistles? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. You guys might have to do some research and come back to us tomorrow. Might have to. Right. So um, I'm just seeing in the chat pod there's some questions here. Uh, what's the most common freshwater fish in Lake Taupo? Um, so we've only got three species in Lake Taupo. You've got your common bullies, your smelt, and your kuara. Um The common bullies and the smelt are about the same. Um, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of smelt. And those little brown fish you see darting around on the rocks in Lake Taupo, those are the um, common bullies. Uh, unfortunately, the kuara are declining a little bit, um, but there are a few areas where there's still lots of them. So the other part to that question was: Have their numbers been this? Have have their numbers there been stable over the last 150 years? I don't think James has been here for 150 years. Um, But um, can I answer that? Yep. So (laughs) Tricia can answer that. And I just want to say thank you for holding up your uh, colouring in sheets. Love them. We produce them here at the Trout Centre. So nice work. Um, (laughs) So the. And that is a picture of Kuaro that he just held up. So Taupo, first of all, why aren't there too many species in Lake Taupo? Because Taupo has volcanic history. So it wiped out a lot of the fish. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm. But um, something happened that people brought in that you guys probably can imagine um, to the lake. So there were originally Kuaro and common bullies but then people brought trout, okay? Um, And the reason that they brought trout is because some of the European colonizers of the area really missed their favorite sport and their favorite sport was fishing. So they brought trout. Um, Now, the only thing the trout could eat in the lake were the coatl and the common bullies. Those were the only things there. So they ate them and they got really, 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 really fat. And then they almost ran out of food. So there weren't many koaro and common bullies left. So the trout went, what? 
and there weren't many left. <laughs> and so they, people actually tried netting the trout out to try and reduce their population so there'd be enough food for them. But in the end, people introduced smelt, which is a native fish to New, Ze New Zealand, which hadn't been found in Lake Taupo. They introduced smelt and the trout started eating them. So what happened after that is that the smelt can keep up with all the trout eating them. So it's more sustainable in the long term. The populations don't go all the time. And that means that there's a little bit less pressure on the common bullies and the koala. So they are still there. They are in less numbers than they used to be before trout, but they are still there. So that's how the numbers have changed probably over the last 150 years. James, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, no, that covers everything. So the smelts are a really important part of the food chain in Lake Taupo. Definitely. Um, without the smelt, things would constantly be going boom and bust. Yep. So there'd be, um, when there's lots of food, everything would be like, yay! And then they'd eat everything up and it would crash again. And that's not very sustainable for the, for the life in the lake, but it's also not sustainable for the fishery um, and for the people who like going fishing and having that as part of their life. And it is a really big part of this area now. It's quite ingrained in the culture, trout fishing, and it's a world-renowned fishery because the thing is with the, the fishery here in, in uh, Turangi and, and around this area is that it's what's known as a wild fishery. Do you want to explain a bit about what that means, Cresha? So in the beginning, um, we had they, they released trout. So that means they raised them in what, what's called the hatchery, which we have here on site, and they released them into the lake. But after a while, those trout began breeding in the wild. And they're so their population is so healthy and now sustainable that they don't need our help anymore to keep releasing more trout in. Or elsewhere in the country, you might hear about um, trout being released. We don't need to do that here. They breed really well and they support their own population. The only thing that we do is manage how much people can fish, things like that. Yeah, so of course, to, to do freshwater fishing in New Zealand, you need a license. So as opposed to getting in a boat and going out into a harbour or into, out to the ocean, you don't need a license, but you need to pay Every year, you get a license to fish for freshwater fish. And well, like sea fishing, there's a restriction on how many you can catch. Um, so it's an interesting topic we're going to look at because, um, of course, trout, like Cresha said, are not native, but they're an important part of the area. They're an important part of the economy. Um, like a lot of different uses for fresh water, it's all about striking a balance and we're going to look more into that whole idea on Thursday. So I don't want to be the one asking all the questions this morning, guys. So make sure that you uh, go into the chat pod there and this is your opportunity now to, to put some questions to either Kresha or James. Um, so, because I mean, I could I could keep talking. <laughs> and so can I. I'm very good at it. <laughs> I've got lots of questions I can ask, but I just don't want to take, take anything away from you guys. So while you guys are um, typing your questions, hopefully, um, I wanted to bring up uh, traditional fisheries. So 
there were people living here before Europeans arrived, obviously. This is the rohe of Tufaritoa, and they had their own traditional fishery. So although there were only those two native species in the lake of fish, there were also koura, our fresh, freshwater crayfish, um, and kākahi, uh, freshwater mussels. All these things were in the system, and there are traditional fisheries that were um, based around those species. So um, rather than catching one at a time, like we do with trout, um, they were more about uh, using traps and nets, uh, hinaki, to capture um, enough for, enough kai for the whanau. Um, obviously with trout taking away a lot of that, um, a lot of that resource, that crashed the traditional fisheries. Um, and that's actually another reason why, kind of by default, trout have become important in this rohe to a lot of tuwhareto as well, because it's kind of replaced the traditional fishery. Mm. If you go to an event on a marae in, in this rohe, you'll often be served trout, because it's something that we're famous for in this area. It's something, it's like a delicacy. If you go to a coastal marae, you might get served um, some amazing coastal fish. But here you, you'll get trout, maybe venison, things like that. Yeah, that's, that's right. Hunting's also very popular here. <laughs> so, so we've got some questions that have come through now. Um, so there's a question from Barry in the office. Is your koaro, it's about long, but that's right. Uh, no, uh, it depends on where you are. Okay. So yeah. um, dialects across New Zealand have slightly different spelling for different fish and sometimes different words. So it gets a little bit confusing. Um, so well, Barry's question was, is your koala and late taupe or the same as the endangered Canterbury mudfish that shows up first on a web search? I think they're quite different. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that? Um, so yeah, we have a whole range of different species in New Zealand, um, what they call the migratory galaxids, which are what more commonly known as whitebait, and koaro is one of those. Um, there's five different species of those. There is uh, over 20 different species of galaxids that don't go to sea like the whitebait do. And then you've got your mudfish, and mudfish live in swampy areas. They've evolved from something similar to the kuaru, um, but they've evolved to live in these swampy habitats where no other fish can get in and eat them, and they've got all this food supply. Unfortunately, our wetlands have been absolutely trashed in New Zealand. Um, there's, I think, less than 10% of what we originally had left, and this is the only place these fish can live, and they don't move very much at all in their life, life, um, life cycle. So the Canterbury mudfish is rated at the same level of endangeredness as our kakapo. Wow. Um, we have three native fish that are in that classification. Um, the other one is the Teviot galaxid, and there is a lowland longjaw galaxid as well. Um, so, yeah, not the same thing. Kind of similar, I guess, in the way they look, but... Um, yeah, quite different. Well, that, that's fairly endangered because I think there's still less than less than 200 kakapo. Mm -hmm. well, pretty low numbers. The anyway. Teviot Galaxid, they believe there's less than 100 now. 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a very sustainable number. Um, and all the best for you guys to be taking part in this field trip to learn more about what you can do to help. Um, so Malaki has a question, where is the best place to find animals for studying? So I think he might be meaning um, freshwater uh, wildlife. So if they want to maybe look at in, in their stream or something, where would, where would they, what would they do? How would they find them? Um, depends what you're looking for. So if you're looking for bugs, your best place is to find like a rocky stream or something and get a net and just lift up a few rocks upstream from the net and all the bugs will let go of the rocks and float into your net and you'll be able to see quite a few different types in there in most cases. Um, or fish, your best idea is to go out, as we said earlier, with a spotlight at night and have a look around some of the creeks that you can get nice easy access to where it's nice and safe. Are the public allowed to trap freshwater species? Um, like, you know how you can get those little cage traps to, to catch, you know, little fish in? Uh, depends on the area. In the Taupo region, you're not allowed to. Um, however, around the rest of the country, um, I believe it is fine. Uh, best idea, though, is if you're going to catch it, have a quick look at it and then release it as quick mm. as possible because you keep them in, say, a bucket or something for longer than, say, 10 minutes. Uh, the oxygen in the bucket starts to go down and the fish can be quite seriously hurt. Mm. Right. Cool. All right. So, Thompson Twins want to know, why around Taupo River can you only fly fish and not spin? So, spin <laughs> as in jigging, like pull it, winding in a, in a, in a spinner. Like a like a jig. Um, that's more of a social construct. Um, fly fishermen fish in a different way than spin fishermen. So a spin fisherman comes in and normally casts and straight across pool, winding it back. Whereas a fly fisherman has to cast upstream and let it drift down and a whole range of different things. And if you have both types of fishermen in the same area, quite often get conflict between the people. Is it because there's a possibility of entanglement of lines? Yeah, generally, and there's quite a few cases in the past of fishermen getting into fights and stuff over a specific form. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it's, it's an interesting subculture, the, the fly fishing community. Um, having grown up fishing salt water, sea fishing, um, I first came down here, I think it was in 2009 or 10, and I had a go at fly fishing, and it was quite interesting. There's all these little rules. It may, but they may not be written down, but there's all sorts of little rules that you should follow, like etiquette. Um, and I found it very interesting. And of course, if, anybody, any, if any of you will do fly fish or know fly, fly fishing anglers, um, there's a whole culture within that, that whole usage of flies and and that the purity of the sport and you know just there's so many little nuances. It's it's a fascinating. There's even little subgroups for different types of fly fishing as well. <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, it's it's a whole different kettle of fish, as they say. Um, right. So, getting quite a few questions coming in now. Our main focus is to put a plan into action. 
What can we do to make sure our why remains abundant and clean? What, what, what's, so that, so this, this school wants to, here's a local river, what are some of the ideas that they need going forward to? So this is Corfo in yes. Auckland? Yes. Okay. So in Auckland, probably your river is probably quite degraded um, because there's so many people living around. Um, first thing to do is check um, wh what condition it's in. And you could probably talk to your local council or something and ask them to help you uh, do some tests. One of the things we're doing this afternoon is looking for critters. You might be able to see, are there critters in there that show you that it's healthy or unhealthy? Once you know whether it's healthy or if it needs some help, another, another thing you can check is, does it have any trees beside it? If it's just, this is the river, this is all grass, that's a bad sign. <laughs> so just everything is connected. So to having plants alongside helps our, our awa and our awa, our river, helps the plants as well. So um, those are the first things to check. You can do things like planting. There's even things you can do at home. Um, like if your parents wash your car on the driveway, where do you think all that soapy water goes? Where do you think it goes? Down the drain. Down the drain. And where do the drains go? To the rivers. To the rivers. Or the sea. Yeah. So if we wash our cars on the grass instead of on the concrete, then we're already doing something to help our hour. And the more people you share this with, the more people you share your learnings with from this week, the more you'll be sharing and caring uh, for your hour. It's a really good idea. In the past, some schools have... Uh, collated the information they've learned from a field trip and done a presentation to the local community, to parents and that sort of thing. So it's helping to spread that message. You know, even if it is a simple message like being careful about what goes down your drain. So um, it, all, it all helps. Um, so there's a question here from Umesh, what would happen if we stop being sustainable? Um, so I guess the field trip sustainable, why? We want it, wanting it to keep going. I mean, it's a very broad question. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think we're at the moment, most of us aren't being sustainable. And that's, and what is happening is that our rivers are getting unhealthy, our, um, our fish are declining, um, things are in a pretty bad state across a lot, of, a lot of the country. And that's what happens when we're not being sustainable. If we, if you guys start being that change, making that change happen, um, then we'll see some improvements. So I think the answer is what happens if we're not sustainable is what's happening right now. Thanks for that. Uh, and Harry, which of the five whitebait species are endangered and how do you think fishing for whitebait is sustainable? It's a really good question. It is because it is another thing that's been in the news of late about the white bait fishery? Well, of the five species, only one, the uh, bandicoot, is not considered declining. Um, three of them, the kuaru, the giant and the um, inanga are considered at risk and declining. And they um, seem to be actually getting a little bit worse in the last few years. 
Um, and then there is one, the uh, short talk kaupapu, and it's believed, well, it's classified in the same risk category as your peel. Um, as for the white baiting, um, my personal opinion on it is that we should not be selling it on the side of the road, um, just anyone whoever wants to selling it on the side of the road. I think that would reduce the pressure on them absolutely immensely. Um, the main threats to our whitebait species is actually habitat loss. However, it seems strange that we have endangered species and we are still allowed to capture as many as we want and sell them on the side of the road. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting dilemma. Um, at $90 a kilo too, I might say, in some parts. Um, so you, you don't even need a license? Uh, no, you, the only regulation is that you use the correct methods and you fish within the season in your area. Yeah, so I mean, if you're sea fishing, you're not allowed to sell your catch. You're not even allowed to give it away, technically. Mm. Um, and so a lot of this is, is, is a social construct that's been built up over time. And so there's a bit of politics at play. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially down on the west coast of the South Island, where it is quite an important income source, quite a few people down there. Yeah. Um, the good news is there is groups that are successfully aquaculturing them. Mm. Um, so breeding the white bait and raising them up to white bait stage for sale. Um, I was talking to a guy the other day that was saying they were producing five ton a year out of one uh, facility, and they'll be upping that to twenty ton in the next you know, couple of years. Yeah. So, so actually farming them. We can still have white bait. Yeah, good. Maybe even cheaper. <laughs> um, right. So, but then, of course, you've got the whole, you know, farm versus wild debate. So, um, there you go, Harry. Good question. And there's a question here from Jesse and Billy. Why do you need an extra fishing license for the Taupo area if you already have a fishing license? Who wants to um, that's due to the fact that the Taupo region is uh, managed by Department of Conservation. It's part of the, I believe it was the settlements with the uh, Maori in the area. Um, I'm not 100% certain to be honest, but the rest of the country is controlled by fishing game. Bring it to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what happened was the government always looked after freshwater fisheries. Um, and then at a certain point, they were trying to outsource it to fishing game, who aren't quite government, okay? Um, but Tuwharetoa had a really good relationship with the government at the time and didn't want to lose that and, and have like another thing in between. So if you're here, government's here, you can talk straight to each other but if you put fish and game in between, there's extra levels. So that's why um, they negotiated for it to remain, the fishery here to remain under government control. And that has ended up in the Department of Conservation, which is where I work. Um, and it's actually the only place in the country where the Department of Conservation looks after an introduced species, as in trying to keep it going rather than killing it like we do with the pests. Um, so that it's, Historically, it's a little bit strange, but that's how it's worked out. I guess you've got to pay a bit more for the privilege of catching a wild trout rather than one that's been released from a hatchery. <laughs> yeah. 
all the all the licensed sales here fund the Topol fishery. So although the fishery is the Department of Conservation, um, and they get a little bit of support from the department, like with uniforms and things like that, um, all their funding to manage the trout fishery comes from licensed sales. So that's we're not like taking away from conservation money to look after and introduce fish because that would be pretty rude. Yeah. So the so the the Thompson twins agree about the white baiting. Um, now you're not allowed to buy and sell, uh, catch, sorry, um, or buy and sell trout. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, trout can you can catch it, or you and you can gift it to people. Um, you can even take it into a restaurant and ask them to cook it for you, but the restaurant can't sell it. You can't sell it to anybody, um, and it all has to be done. Uh, following the rules of the fishery here. So um, it's actually interesting you were talking about whitebait, how many more rules there are around trout fishing than there are around whitebait. And that's partly because over the last hundred or so years, the value that the, the bulk of society, so um, the people who are eating and fishing and stuff like that, put on introduced fish as a source of kai, whereas the native fish, we often don't see them. Like pe people don't often value what they can't see. Mm. I, most people don't even know that white bat grow up to live in fresh water. Mm. And some of them grow up to be quite big too, which we'll get a chance to have a look at later today. Ethan wants to know what the weirdest thing you've ever found in a river. Oh, that one's going to James. <laughs> um, there's a lot of strange things out there, especially some of the insects are some really cool looking things. But the one that really caught my attention was I was doing some insect sampling uh, right at the top of a mountain in a little stony creek, and I found a clamshell, <laughs> tiny little clamshell. Um, and so I had to look into it and find out what they were, and this was called a sparrow clam. Now, these are normally found in swampy areas and stuff like that, but they've they live in like the really muddy, swampy areas. And if a duck comes in and lands in it, they'll close up out of fright and they'll clamp onto a feather. And then the duck will fly off and go somewhere else. And that is what we think happened for this clam sitting up on top of a mountain. <laughs> oh, poor little guy. <laughs> was it alive? Uh, no, no, just a shell. It was just a shell. shell. That's really, really funny. Now, I'm not sure if you answered this before about... Um, the what is the fishing license money used for and is it different here than other parts of New Zealand? We, we, you talked about that just before. Yeah, so um, all the license money goes to managing the fishery here. Um, so that means enforcing all the rules and things like that. Um, I couldn't tell you, um, we may have to ask tomorrow when we talk to some of the fisheries people, some of the people who are actually rangers out in the field, um, how it's used differently in fishing game as opposed to here. Um, because I've never been involved with fishing game, so I'm not sure how their money is deployed. Okay. Well, just we've covered a lot this morning, guys, and um, there's no more questions. We're going to head off anyway, because we've got to go and meet up with Garth Oakton from Tongariro River Rafting and have a bit of a blat down the river. And it's really cool because I can still see some patches of blue sky, so I was kind of hoping it was going to be a bit sunny for our trip down the river today. And um, 
and hopefully we'll get to see some feel along the way as well. So you'll be able to check out the videos of the adventures from today tomorrow when they'll be uploaded onto the website. So thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we've got two more field trip web conferences at the same time tomorrow and on Thursday, so do join us for that. And this field trip, uh, this web conference is also recorded, so you can access it uh, later on via the web conferences page. Uh, if you feel like it, have a go, have a look on uh, my travel diary and have a look at some of the images that I took on the way here from Kitty Kitty yesterday. And um, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, you can all unmute if you like. So big ka kite ano. Hi. See you later. <laughs> I know how to do that. Bye. Ka kite ano. Have a great day, and hopefully we'll see you tomorrow.